This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. If we haven't met yet, my name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it is going to be my joy to share with you for the next few minutes the things that God has for us. Before I do, though, I was just reminded again, I was talking with Ron this morning about the incredible gift that we have to worship God, to be with God that actually... Being with God is a gift in and of itself. This morning and every Sunday at New Life, we talk about practical ways to live life the way that would honor God, uh, that would help us to have incredible lives, lives that God created for us. But he reminded me this morning that simply having God in our lives is the greatest reward we could ever have. And so I'm so excited that we got to worship him together. I hope that you're ready to connect with God because he is here to connect with you. You're going to want a few things from your program. The first is that Connect card. It says Start Here right on the front. Go ahead and right now in the beginning of this message, fill out your name and email address. And if you're new to our community, any information that you're comfortable giving us, go ahead and fill that out. We're going to have some ways to apply today's message right there on the card. You can put prayer requests there. You can, uh, you can sign up for different um, things like life groups, which we'll be talking about a little bit later right there on that card. So make sure you fill that out. If you're a first-time guest, by the way, uh, fill that out, drop it in the basket, and we have a gift for you at our Connect kiosk. So make sure you stop out there on the way out this uh, morning. The other thing you're going to want is your teaching notes. It will help you uh, remember where I'm going this morning. It will give you some things to be thinking about throughout the week. So make sure you pull out your teaching notes. Keep both of those two pieces of paper handy, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what to do with those later. So like I said, we are in week two of a series, Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. And this week we're talking about flying solo. We're talking about singleness because it is a huge topic. It is actually a a great gift that God gives to us. All of us started out single for various reasons. Many of us at some point in our life may find ourselves single again. Did you know that 82 million American adults are single right now? So this is an incredibly important topic. If you're married this morning, this is an important topic for you because you have touch points with single folks in this church, in your neighborhood, at your work. And it's important to know what our single friends are going through in life, what their stage in life brings with them so that we can love them, support them, and care for them. One of the great tragedies, I think, in the church is that single people often feel like they don't have a place. And if you've ever felt that way at New Life, I just want to apologize because you have an incredible place here. Uh, We could not be and would not be the church we are without you. So uh, for those of you who are married, this is a great time for you to to learn and to engage, to figure out how you can support and care for and love your single friends here in this community as well as out in the world. If you're single this morning, it's important for you to know uh, some unique challenges and gifts of singleness. We're going to talk about dating a little bit later. So uh, what's it look like to date in a God-honoring way? And and it's going to be a really fun time. Uh, We're going to be going through uh, the book of Ruth this morning. And Ruth is a small book in the Old Testament. And it starts out with a guy named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And they have two sons. They live in Bethlehem, but there is a famine in Bethlehem. And so they go to Moab to greener pastures. They want to find a better way to live, a, a new beginning. And so they head out to the land of the Moabites. And after they get there, Elimelech dies, which leaves Naomi with her two sons. This is a tragedy. This is something she's going through. She finds herself single, an older widow with two grown children. Then her two sons get married to two women, Ruth and Orpah. And uh, I'm not going to make any comment on Orpah. It's just unfortunate in and of itself. So we're just going to keep going. Uh, They marry these two women, and the sons are married for about 10 years, but then the two sons die. And we find ourselves with these three women who are all single. And you need to know that there are three main characters in this story, two of whom I've told you about, Naomi and Ruth. And then there's a third person named Boaz, who we're going to hear about a little bit later this morning. 
all three of these people are single for various reasons. Two were widows. Boaz, to the best of our knowledge, has never chosen to become married. But what their story tells us is that there are unique gifts and challenges of singleness that we need to be aware of, that we need to know, so we can experience the fullness that God would have for us in that unique stage in life. And the first unique challenge to singleness is simply this. It's loneliness. It's being lonely. Let's jump into the chapter with Ruth chapter 1, verse 8, which says this. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. That's a way of saying go back and uh, start your life over again. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest, each in the house of a new husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they all wept. Now the backstory is that Naomi has known the pain of singleness. She's known the uncertainty of singleness. She's known the loneliness that comes from it. And she sends her daughters away. She says, go and start over. Find a new husband. Find support. Find companionship. Find partnership. And I think that's, that's a felt need. It's a felt need for all of us. Whether you're married or single, loneliness is a real issue that plagues our society. It really is. Because God created us to be in relationships. You are not an island. No man, no woman stands by themselves. God wants you to be in relationship with other people and an intimate relationship. And marriage is one way that that happens, but it happens in a number of relationships. And one of the saddest things that I see is when single folks come and talk to me and they're telling me about a relationship and the relationship is clearly unhealthy. It's just not a good relationship. And so I ask them, why are you dating this guy? Why are you dating this gal? And as we get into it a little more and a little more, it comes out that they just don't want to be alone. They're scared that they won't find anything better, and so they settle. Can I tell you, if you're single this morning, God wants you to have relationships, but God does not want you to settle. God wants the best for you. God wants incredible relationship. Maybe it's marriage at some point. Maybe it's just incredible friendships, but God doesn't want you to settle. One of the key ways that we form relationships is in the church. The church is supposed to be a place where we form relationships together. One of the key ways we do that at New Life is through life groups. And if you've been around for any period of time, you know life groups are a group of 8 to 15 people who connect together, connect with God, connect with each other, form some relationships, and experience Christ together. I want to tell you, if you haven't joined a life group yet, whether you're married or single, you need to join a life group. It's just key. If you're here and you feel lonely, and by the way, there are a lot of married people who feel very lonely. Uh, we're going to talk about marriage next week. But if you're married, don't you know, have you ever had that time where you, you go to bed and you're laying a foot and a half away from your spouse, but you feel like you're a million miles away? Or you feel like you're totally alone? And you just, those of you who are single, you should never have felt that, by the way. Um, I just want to throw that out there. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we come to dating. Uh, but you know that loneliness and, and pain is really hard. We need to have community. God wants our marriages to be strengthened, but God wants you, whether you're single or married, to have relationships. Join a life group. Join a life group. I can't say it any other way, and I won't apologize for saying it. Join a group. Look at your Connect card. Find a group that's right for you. Mark it on your Connect card and get plugged in. So if a challenge of singleness is loneliness that we need to combat with community. One of the great gifts of singleness is the freedom for adventure. Notice what Ruth says in response to Naomi in verse 16. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. That line is often said at weddings, but it's a little awkward when we realize that it was between a daughter and her mother-in-law, not between a husband and wife, right? Your people shall be my people, your God shall be my God. But Ruth says it to her mom. She says, look, mom, there's nothing holding me back from following you. 
I have no strings here. I can go. I can have this incredible adventure. Take me with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. I remember turning 21, and I was uh, living on campus at Sonoma State University. I just turned 21, and one night on a Wednesday night, I got this idea. I should go skydiving. That just seemed like a great idea. I'd never been skydiving. It never crossed my mind. So I got online. I made a few phone calls, and a day and a half later, I was jumping out of a perfectly good airplane at 15,000 feet. I just went for it. Now, I've since then gotten married, and I've asked Maria a couple times, hey, I think I want to go skydiving again. That'd be really fun. And she says, you know what? That's not going to happen, not even maybe, okay? You've got a family. You've got kids. You're not going to take that risk, that adventure. But one of the gifts of singleness is the freedom for adventure. Think about this. If you're single, if you don't have kids specifically, if you have some vacation time saved up, you could decide tomorrow, I want to go to Hawaii for a week. You could make, book your tickets. You could just go. Those of you who are married, you know you can't just leave your husband for a week and go to Hawaii. And you really can't leave your wife for a week and go to Hawaii because you might come back and we have a whole other topic. You fall in that singleness category, okay? <laughs> so don't try this at home. But I tell you, it is a great gift for those of you who are single. The opportunity for adventure is there. A similar opportunity is this. If you're single, one of the great benefits you have is you can serve God with everything that you have. And what I mean by that is you can serve him with a singular focus. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. All that Paul's saying here is that When you get married, you have double focuses, and rightly so. You should care about your family and the things of God. But when you're single, you have this incredible opportunity to be singularly focused on serving God. Paul actually goes on to encourage people, if you're single, stay single. Because he says it's better to be single and serve God, to love God with everything you have, than even to be married. He says the relationship you could have with God is way better than a relationship you could ever have with a husband or wife. So if you need to stay, if you're single right now, he says, stay single. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to be single. And I want to tell you, I'm so encouraged by the singles at New Life. You're out there and you are serving God with everything you have. I talked to the guy on the sound booth last weekend who's just serving God. He's a single guy serving God with everything he has. I have a friend named Ashley who's here this morning, and um, she's one of these singles who's flying solo who's serving God. Right after college, uh, Ashley would, she'd be a little embarrassed if I told you this. She's, she's uh, turning red. I know it. So... But I'm just going to brag about her. By the way, guys, she's single, but she's not looking to be single for life. So just hear this story. She's a godly woman. (laughs) Ashley finished college and decided to uh, give back for a year. So she interned with a college ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and she was just serving God full-time with her life. Since then, God called her into law school, and she's in her second year of law school, which is crazy, crazy to do. But in law school, she's also serving on our First Impressions team. She was here setting up communion and chairs and greeting you guys when you came in. She leads a life group. She actually coaches three different life groups, so she oversees different life group leaders and cares for them. And today, after she finishes doing her First Impressions work, she's taking my kids back to my house. So Maria, who was leading worship, my wife, and I can be here and do our ministry. She's going to serve us by taking care of our kids. Why can she do that? Because at this stage in life, she can be singularly focused on God and serving God all the time, with everything she has. And I got to tell you, New Life is full of incredible singles like Ashley, and I'm so thankful that we are. So take advantage of this time, those of you who are single. As the story continues, Ruth and Naomi arrive in Bethlehem, and Ruth goes into the field of a man named Boaz, and this is where he comes into the story, to pick grain that was left behind by the workers. 
in a process called gleaning. And if you don't know what gleaning was, gleaning is the equivalent to like someone going out into the streets, going through garbage dumpsters, and picking cans out for recycling. Okay, it was a low task. It was a menial task. You did this just to survive. And you might be asking, why would she go and do that? Because she realized that one of the next unique challenges that single folks face is the need to work outside of the home. Now, this can be an adventure, actually. If you're single and you don't have kids, oftentimes working outside of the home is a great adventure. You can work late. Uh, you can travel. You can um, advance your career. You can, you can really strive at that. But if you're single with kids, this can become a really difficult spot. Did you know that 42% of men report that they have a rise in their standard of living after they get divorced, but 73% of women and children report that they have a decline in their standard of living? after a divorce, which forces oftentimes women to go back just to get a job to take care of their kids, to put food on the table. And that's a really difficult thing. And I want to tell you, I'm so proud of those of you who are single parents, who are making it work, who are caring for your kids, who are working, who are making it happen. Uh, Maria was gone at a worship conference on Friday, and so I had both of our kids for the first time for a full day, 6 a.m. till 10.30 p.m., and we have a three-year-old, almost three-year-old, and a uh, six-month-old baby at home. And I don't know how you do it. I really don't. I, it was, it was wonderful, but man, it was incredibly challenging. And I got to tell you, those of you who are making it happen, I am so impressed with you. Keep up the good work. I know it's a challenge, but keep going. So Ruth went out into the field to, to glean, to pick these uh, pieces of grain because she needed to provide financially for her mother-in-law and for herself. And in chapter 2, Boaz gets back to the field. He's the owner of this field. And by the way, Boaz is a great guy. Boaz is one of these guys that you want to meet if you're single. He's well-respected. He's got money. Uh, he loves the Lord. He's kind. He's generous. And some of you guys are thinking, man, where can I find a Boaz in my life? I don't even mind the name, right? I will take this guy. <laughs> Let me tell you where you wouldn't have found Boaz. You probably wouldn't have found him in a bar. You probably wouldn't have found him in a club. Boaz was not that kind of guy, okay? If you want to find a great guy or a great gal, go to a place where great people hang out, okay? Don't go expecting to find the diamond in the rough. Go where the diamonds are, okay? You're in a good place. There's a lot of diamonds in here, by the way. So look around. Check the finger and then look around. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let's get into our third challenge of flying solo, which is the challenge of dating, Uh, when Maria, my wife, and I first got together, she was living in Wisconsin, and I was here in Northern California. And I was a little bit out of practice in dating. I hadn't dated in about four years, and uh, she was not out of practice. Now, she was dating in a very healthy way, but she was not out of practice. She had been dating before. And so she was a little more uh, up on what you're supposed to do in this type of situation. So we had been talking for about eight months, getting to know each other, forming a friendship. And I flew out to Wisconsin to take some classes out there and, and really just to be close to her, right? Because I had feelings for this woman. And uh, she said, hey, can we take a walk one day? And I knew it was, it was on. It was go time. So I said, yeah, let's take a walk. Let's start at Starbucks because that's the best place to start before you take a walk. We'll get our coffee. It was August in Wisconsin, but a hot cup of coffee seemed like a good idea to me. So we got our coffee and we started to walk. And, she, and like two minutes in, she says to me, Kevin, I have feelings for you and I want to start officially dating. Do you have feelings for me? And I kid you not, this is what I did. I mean, I froze. 
kept the coffee up. My throat is scalding hot with coffee now. And I sputtered something like, Wisconsin is here. California is here. Can I think about this and get back to you? Now, I knew I liked her. I knew I wanted to date her, but I froze. I mean, it freaked me out. Dating freaks us out sometimes. She left crying. Uh, I went to a friend and, and told him just to slap me right now across the face because I had blown it, but she took me back, which is good. For some of us, dating is easy. For others, dating is a little more difficult. And so I want to talk about five keys for successful dating. By the way, those of you who are married, who have kids, you should be thinking through how you're going to communicate to your kids about this kind of stuff. What does it look like to talk to our kids about dating as they uh, hit puberty and go on? Let's set them up for success well with these five keys in dating. See, Ruth's mother-in-law sees this connection going on. Boaz notices Ruth immediately, and he's like, wow, who is that woman? He asks the foreman, who's that woman? She looks, she's great. Look at her. She's a hard worker. You know, she's, uh, she's doing what she needs to do. She's getting her business taken care of. And so he's really generous with her. And then Ruth takes notice of Boaz because of his kindness, his generosity. She knows that he loves the Lord. And so Ruth's mom decides to play matchmaker and says, go. She says to Ruth, go wash up, put on some perfume, put on your best clothes, get your Dolce and Gabbana, and go to the threshing floor where Boaz will be sleeping and then lay down at his feet. Some of you are thinking, what kind of book is the Bible? (laughs) It's not what you think. It's not what you think. What... Ruth's mom is doing is basically saying, do what a bride would do. Get yourself prepared, and then in effect, go and propose to Boaz. Ladies, Ruth was an independent woman. She was a liberated woman. She was going for it. My wife must have read the story of Ruth before we went on that walk, because my wife was a liberated woman. She went for it. And that's what Ruth does. Notice verse 8. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. Uh, Yeah, yeah. He is asleep, and there's a woman laying at his feet. So he says to her the natural question, because there were no lights, it was dark. He says, who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Basically what that means is, protect me. Bring me into your family. Marry me. That's what she's saying in that line. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you whatever you ask. Boaz goes on to marry Ruth, and through their family line, Jesus is actually eventually born. It's an incredible story. And he gives us, in this story, five keys for dating. The first is time. The first key is time. Ruth and Boaz got to know each other. They did not rush into marriage. Neil Clark Warren, who was the founder of eHarmony.com, says this. He says, Hurried courtships exponentially increase the chance of marital disaster, especially if you've gone through a tragedy, a divorce or a death. Experts say it takes two years for you to heal after a relational disaster like that, for your, your emotions just to get back to normal, for you to heal, for you to figure out what happened. And so the first key we know is we don't rush it. If you're coming out of a broken relationship, actually the reason why I was single for four years is a friend said to me when I got out of a two-year relationship in college, stay single for a year. Just let God do some work in your life. Figure out what went wrong. And that year turned into two years and three years and four years. But I don't regret it. In that four years, God called me into ministry. He healed some crazy big areas in my life that needed healing. He showed himself to me in incredible ways. Allow yourself time to heal before you jump into a relationship. Because I can tell you, if you're broken going in, you'll just bring that brokenness right in. That person will not heal you. 
they'll just, uh, their brokenness and your brokenness will just rub up against each other and cause even more pain. The second key is contentment. One of the greatest lies that you will hear as a single person is that marriage will somehow make you content, will somehow complete you. I can tell you, I do not agree with Jerry Maguire at all. I love my wife, but she does not complete me. And she's not going to be mad about that. I told her I was going to say that. Here's why I say that. No person can complete you. It's very clear in the Bible, no person will complete you. There are some of us in this room, some of us who are married and some of us who are single, who have an extreme lack of contentment. And I can tell you why. Because the Bible says that your soul longs for God. The Bible says, just like a deer pants for water, our souls long for God. I can tell you, you have one soulmate, and it's God. It's the God of the Bible who created you and knows you and loves you. And only God can fill that void in your heart. So there are some of you here this morning, and you don't have a relationship with God. I want to tell you, God's calling you right now. God wants you to come into a relationship with him because without him, you will not experience the contentment that you could and should have in life. Jesus says, come to me if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says things like, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you in this life or the life to come. What boyfriend or girlfriend can say that? What husband or wife can say that? What child can say that? No one can. Only God can meet that need in your life. And if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you, today is your day. God loves you and he's calling you to himself. Allow him to be the one that fills that void in your life. Allow him to meet you and guide you. The third key is to maintain or reestablish sexual purity. This is something you're probably only going to hear in church, and actually you might not hear it in a lot of churches because they get nervous that you're going to like stone them or throw things at them or pencil or something. I want to tell you, five times the Bible says directly, do not have sex unless you are married. And 25 times the Bible says it indirectly. You've probably heard something like this before. Can I tell you why it says that? Who cares about the what if we don't know the why? We need to know why God says things like this. Let me tell you, a friend put it this way to me. She said, sex is like super glue. And imagine these are two people, and sex is like super gluing your fingers together. It bonds you. That's one of the points of sex. Procreation, we're going to get into this in a few weeks, so I'm not going to get into it today. You should know that procreation is a reason, but there are other reasons for sex. One of them is bonding a couple together. The problem is, if you break up, there's tearing that happens. You lose a part of yourself. Think Super gluing your fingers together and pulling it apart, you lose some skin off each finger. It gets stuck to the other hand. Part of yourself is gone, and you can never get it back. Then let's say you go and you have sex with another partner, and another, and another, and there's connecting and tearing, connecting and tearing. I want to tell you, in the end, you're going to get callous on your fingers. Sex will not be what it could be or should be in your marriage. And actually, it will drive a wedge between you and that person you ultimately end up with. That's why God says, maintain or reestablish sexual purity. Some of you are here saying, you know what? That is too hard. And you know what? I was single until I was 26. And I don't care if you're 14 or 40 or 50. Once you hit puberty, it is hard. Let's be honest. It's hard to not want to have sex when you're attracted to someone and you love them. But you can do it. God says, I will not give you anything to do that you can't do. You can do this. You might be saying it's not realistic. It is realistic. There are singles in this church who are doing it. 
or should I say not doing it right now? It is realistic. I know some of you are thinking, if I stop having sex with him or with her, what if they break up with me? I want to tell you something. If they would break up with you because of that, they're not the right person for you anyway. God has someone better for you. The fourth key is the spiritual filter. And I want to talk to Christians here for a minute, people who are followers of Jesus. God says that you should come into a relationship, an intimate, personal, passionate relationship with someone who is a follower of Jesus as well. He says, do not get into a relationship with someone who's not a Christian. Here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That is not partnership, it's war. What this is saying is you cannot have an incredibly deep relationship with someone who has extremely different core values than you. And if God is everything in your life, you cannot have an intimate relationship to the, the, the way that God wants it to be if that person does not believe in God. You just can't. One of two things is going to happen. One, it's going to drive a wedge in your relationship, which is something that God doesn't want for you. It will cause you heartache and pain. And two, even worse than that, more often than not, what it does is it actually pulls you away from God. You get tired of fighting with them about you going to church or going to your small group or serving or having your devotional times, and you just give up and say, fine, I'm with you, and you lose that relationship with God. And guys, that is the worst thing that could ever happen. Now, I know there are some of you in here because you've come and talked to me before when I say things like this. And you you would say to me, that is not true. I was not a Christian. I was not a believer when my husband or wife and I got together. And through them, I became a Christian. I, I would say to you, praise God for that. God can do anything. But for your story, there are 20 stories that go the exact opposite direction where there's heartache and pain. You are the exception, not the rule. See, we can't take relationships through the filter of God and, ha- and have it come out clean on the other end if the person's not a follower of Jesus. And the final key is the character filter. What's that person like below the surface? How do they deal with conflict? These are just some things you might want to write down. How do they deal with conflict? And if you would say, the person I'm dating and I have never gotten into a disagreement, we've never had conflict, I would say, then you haven't gone very deep, much past your first date. Because I can tell you, you will not agree on everything all the time. So how do they deal with conflict? How do they deal with things like money? How do they want to raise kids? Do they want to have kids? Ask questions like, what does this person talk about? Are they honest? Do they have integrity? If there was no physical attraction, would I be with them? Ask questions like, how does this person treat people that cannot do anything for them? How do they treat their mom? Because that's probably how they're going to treat you, by the way. How do they treat their dad? Do they encourage you? Do they affirm you? In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. What kind of fruit do you see in that person's life? By the way, these are questions you should be asking before you start dating. Hang out in groups, get to know the person, find out what kind of person they are, and then get into a relationship. So the five keys for successful dating, time, contentment, sexual purity, common faith and character. I want to give us some ways that we can apply these things into our lives today. Like I said earlier, one of the uh, major things, and you're going to have your connect card with you and your application, your notes that you're teaching us. You're going to have both because we're going to be praying for you for the things you're deciding to do. One of the big tragedies in our society is that there are so many people and yet so many of us are lonely. We feel disconnected, 
We feel like we don't have a place. We feel like we don't belong. I want to give you two ways, whether you're single or married, to connect here at New Life. To, to have a sense of belonging, to know that you matter. The first one is entry point. If you've never taken entry point, it, it's a two-week session that starts in early October, led by Ron and some of our other staff team. And it basically guides you through what it means to be part of this church, how to connect with other people. You'll form some friendships. You'll get to know Ron a little bit more. Entry point is a great way for you to connect with other people. It's a great way for you to connect at the church. A second one is to join a life group. I know, I sound like a broken record, but until all of us are in a group, I'm going to keep saying it because I'm coming for you because God wants better for you than isolation. God wants you to be in community. So join a life group. We're in our New Testament challenge. Ron's going to talk about it a little bit later. It is a great place for you to experience God through the New Testament, to meet some new people, to apply your faith in very real ways. Join the New Testament challenge. Join a life group. The third one, for those of you who are single, if and when I date, I will follow the five keys of successful dating. Some of you may be dating right now and saying, man, I've already lost at least a few of these. I want to tell you, God can actually reestablish those things in your life. God wants you to reestablish all five of those in your relationships. God can bless you and will bless you as you follow him in those five keys for dating. And the last one, I'm choosing to become a follower of Jesus this morning. Friends, the greatest gift you can have is not marriage. It's not a good job. It's not healthy kids. The greatest gift you can have is knowing God, the creator of all, the one who knows you and loves you, who wants to be with you. If you have not come into a personal, passionate, intimate relationship with him, I'm pleading with you. Come to him today. There is no greater time. Don't miss this moment. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, today is your day. Like I said, I was reminded earlier of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. As we head into communion this morning, and the ushers go back and prepare the elements, I want to ask you, do you need rest? Do you need to come to Jesus this morning? You singles out there, do you feel like you're never going to find someone? Do you feel like you're on your own? Do you feel like you don't really have a place? Can I tell you, you do. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Let me love you. Let me give you rest and purpose and passion in your life. For those of you who are married this morning, but maybe you feel like you're single because your relationship is really struggling right now, I want to tell you, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And I will bring healing if you just come to me. Maybe it's something with your kids. Maybe it's a job thing. Whatever is going on in your life right now, I want to encourage you as you take this piece of bread and this cup of juice, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, take communion with us as a way to celebrate the reality that God is here, that God loves you and is healing you and is guiding you today. And then pour out your life to him silently in this time of communion. And take this piece of bread, which Jesus says is his body, given for us. Take this cup of juice, which Jesus says is his blood, poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And eat and drink and remember God's goodness to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, 
I want to tell you, you can come right now. Jesus made a way. The Bible says that while we were enemies of God, God loved us enough to make a way to bring us back to him. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on our behalf to take the penalty for our sin. And then he rose from the dead, breaking the power of death and destruction and sin in our lives. And now he has the right to say, come to me and you will find rest. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, take this cup of juice and this piece of bread. Pray a simple prayer inviting God to lead you in your life and then thank him for the reality that he is here. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we celebrate our singles in this community. They are a wonderful gift. They are incredible. And we're so glad that they're here. I ask that you would be meeting them particularly in a very real way today, reminding them that you are the one that brings them contentment and joy and purpose and vision and mission and passion. And Lord, you know the the cries of their heart, the desires of their heart. So whatever that would be, would you answer that? Would you meet them? I pray for those of us who are married, that we would have single friends that we would love and care for and invite into our families and our lives because we have so much to learn from them. And maybe we have a few things to share as well. So would you open our eyes to see the singles in our community that we can love and care for so that we can be the community of faith that you've called us to be. And Lord, for anyone who's on this dating path, I ask that you would help them to, uh, to follow the keys that you lay out for dating that they would do that in a way that honors you, that draws them close to you, and draws them close to the person that they're dating. Because I know you can do that, Lord. For any of my friends who are here, and they're just considering making a decision for you, would you stir them right now, Lord? As their hearts are beating a little fast, maybe their palms are getting sweaty because they know that I'm talking to them. Holy Spirit, that is you working, prompting them, nudging them. And so for those people who you're calling, would you give them the courage to respond, to say yes to you? Lord, we are so thankful that you made a way for us to come. And now you say to us, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. Lord, we sit in that place this morning. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.